Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Urbandale, Iowa. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning I want to begin the message out of Revelation, taking you back to the very beginning of our focus on the book. I want to take you to Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 and remind you of what is said there. Verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now I want to take us all the way to the end of the book. We probably won't get there till 2025 sometime. But nonetheless, I want to take you to chapter 22, verse 7. And these are the words of the Lord, the risen, glorified Lord. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. If you're uh, new to the Mission Church, perhaps today may even be your first Sunday with us. We are in a chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation, better understood to be the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unfolding of him as the risen, glorified Christ. Having completed 22 sermons thus far in this series, I'm starting to think that our members and regular attenders who have sat under most of all of that are beginning to feel the weight of what this book is unveiling. And that's why I chose this morning to begin with Revelation 1, 3, and 22, 7. I want to remind us that Revelation is the only book in God's word that comes with a specific stated promise. And that promise is blessing. For those who read, who hear, who keep what is Unveiled and revealed in Revelation, there is a divinely ordained blessing. Over 48 years of following Christ and 30 years of full-time pastoral ministry, I've come to understand that the blessings that come from the Lord are most often experienced after one goes through times of doubt, fear, and confusion. In other words... Blessing is most often the product of clinging to Christ and his word by faith, walking with him through those doubts, those fears, and those confusions to be ultimately blessed by him with assurance and peace and clarity. And such is the case with Revelation. Like gold, the blessing of this book that it affords is not easily achieved. It requires that we not give up because we become doubtful, because we become fearful, because we find ourselves facing confusing concepts and times that the book is going to bring, but that we move through seeking the illumination of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of Christ himself, and with confidence that the Father who has set all of creation in motion and knows every twist and turn will help us see and understand his plan for the fullness of time and that we'll, we will then be blessed by it. 
So I confess to you this morning that there is much heaviness in what Revelation unveils about God's plan for the end times through his son Jesus. But I know that if we hang in and if we don't give in to doubt and fear and confusion, we'll come out the other side with assurance, peace, and clarity of who our Savior is and where he is taking us according to the Father's good plan. So with that said, I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 6. We're making our way through chapter 6 and the revelation that we find here of Jesus opening the seals of the seven-sealed scroll that he received from the hand of the Father. Seal number one is found in verses 1 and 2 and basically paint the picture for us of the unleashing of a white horse and rider, which basically I interpret as the removal of the restraints that have held the one who is to become known as the Antichrist, that have held him in obscurity, and which then begin to allow him to rise to world domination through the promise of peace and safety. Seal number two, we find in verses three and four, where we find the unleashing of a red horse and rider who were given power to take that peace from the earth, leading to an ever-increasing level of violence and bloodshed that outpaces all other such time in human conflict. Then we come to seal number three, verses five through six, which reveal the unleashing of a black horse and rider who bring a time of famine to the earth that sees unparalleled rationing, driven by astronomical inflation, created by conflicts that were um, uh, unleashed by the red horse and rider, but also other judgments that we have yet to fully cover. And I talked about that a little bit last week, and we'll get there, but also those future judgments have a part to play in what will be uh, taking place with the unleashing of seal number three. So today brings us then to seal number four, and the final horse and rider. Now once we get through with this, there are still three more seals to open. They just don't have anything to do with horses and riders, okay? But this is the last one relating to that, uh, that imagery. So Revelation 6 verse 7. When he, that is Jesus Christ, opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Aren't you glad we started off with the positive? Because uh, it is heavy. Well, Father... Despite its heaviness, despite its challenge to fully grasp and understand and, and apply, I'm nonetheless grateful for the full revelation of your word to include the wonderful news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but also to include the judgments that come when that grace is rejected and the ultimate judgment that's going to come upon Satan and his world system. Lord, help us to be able to 
keep the proper perspective as we go through these challenging scriptures. Um, help us to understand that it's important for us to grow in our understanding of what these things mean and how we believe they may be played out. Um, and I pray that it would motivate us who know Christ in this time frame to live more holy and righteous and to be ever ready to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others around us. Help us to be fruitful in that, I pray. And may you receive glory in this time and may it benefit all who hear. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So when you read the various scholars that are out there, um, as it relates to this fourth horse and rider, there's a lot written, they seem to take up a lot of ink, uh, about the color of this horse. Now, the ESV, I think the King James Version, I think the NIV, there's just different versions there. Many of them, perhaps most of them, use the term pale horse. Uh, we're using the ESV, that's what I'm reading from, and so that's what we heard this morning. Uh, the New American Standard, which is an excellent translation of Scripture, uses the word ashen, ashen horse. <laughs> what is pale, what is ashen? Well, both of these are translations from the Greek word Chloros, from which we get the English word chlorophyll or chlorine. And basically, I'm told that it represents a sickly, greenish, gray color. A sickly, greenish, gray color. It is said to be the color of death. I don't know how many of you have ever been with someone who is on the verge of dying. I'm sure not all people there have the same experience or the same look, but oftentimes the complexion of a dying body is kind of that greenish, grayish. It's not a very pleasant thing to look at. They can't help it, but it's just, it's just death. Or you see a corpse, and sometimes if it hasn't been made up nicely, uh, you know, you see that greenish, grayish color. And uh, this color then certainly is appropriate for this particular horse because of who or what we see riding on it. Specifically, the passenger, the rider, is deaf. That leads me to ask the question this morning, what is death? What is death? I think... The most common response that I would get from that question would be that death is the cessation of life. It is the ending of life. And there's certainly truth in that. It is the cessation of life in a, to a point. But that does not answer the whole question. So let me explain and give you a broader answer. I begin by just referencing you to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. The Bible tells us that humanity, that mankind, is the most unique of God's creation. Genesis 1, 26 informs us that we were created in the image of God. Now, that's not a physical image. God is spirit. He does not have a physical body. Therefore, we know that's not what it's referencing 
What it is referencing when it says we were made in the image of God is uh, that which is associated with the most fundamental aspect of his being, which has become at one level the most fundamental aspect of our being. One of the fundamental aspects of God's being is that he is a triune being. When we think of the Trinity, a triune being, uh, it is defined in Scripture as one God existing in three distinct personages. That is a fundamental aspect of the being of God. He is one God. He is not three gods. He is one God. And yet, as one God, he exists in three distinct personages, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there are many passages I could point you to that would bring that understanding to your mind, but I'll just uh, reference you to Mark chapter 12, verse 29, and Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Uh, these are two passages where Jesus is speaking, and he makes it clear that the Godhead exists in this fashion. I don't know that there's a better um, source than him. Now, in, in keeping with humanity's creation then in the image of God, the Apostle Paul reveals that like the one in whose image we are made, we are also Trinitarian beings. That's right. You and I are Trinitarian beings. A little different than him, but we are Trinitarian beings in that we are created spirit, soul, and body. One person existing in three distinct parts. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Apostle Paul makes that clear, that we are a spirit, we are a soul, we are a body. One person, three distinct parts. Now, with that said, you say, well, okay, fine, Pastor Mike, what does that have to do with death? Well, great question. Let me tell you what it has to do with death. While it is true that death is the cessation of life, it is only true for one part of our being. Only the body dies. When death occurs, it is the body, this physicality, you know, that stops living, it, it, it ceases to have life. But when that happens, the spirit and the soul lives on. The scripture is very clear that our spirit and our soul, different parts of our makeup, they are eternal. They never stop. Now, God is eternal in that he has no beginning and he has no end. We are eternal as well, but we had a beginning. We just don't have an end. And that doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. All human beings are eternal beings in that once they become a being, they exist forever. Okay? So this explanation that I just gave you is important because um, we, we come to understand that it is only the body uh, that dies. And that leads me to another fundamental aspect of death. And that aspect is described by the word separation. When death occurs, the soul and spirit is separated from the body. The body, as we know, remains on earth where it uh, decays and uh, returns to dust unless it's in one of the newfangled, medically sealed 
coffins filled with all kinds of chemicals that keep the body from decaying and put in another vault on top of that. Uh, okay. But historically, uh, a dead body is put in the earth, and what happens? It, it decays and it goes back uh, to dust, so to speak. But the soul and the spirit, when it separates from the body, it leaves the world, this world that we know, and it continues on in one of two conditions and or places. The first condition that I'll make known is that of being forgiven. There are many people who, who their body dies, but while they lived in their body, they came to faith in Christ, their sins were completely forgiven. And when their soul and spirit departs from the body, because they're in the condition of being forgiven of their sins, they are united then with the fullness of God in heaven. That is what happens to the believer who dies. The other condition is that of condemned. There are more people who are in that condition than in the first. The Bible tells us, Jesus made it clear, that the path to, 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 to salvation and righteousness is like a narrow gate, and there's few who find it. And, and, and the path to destruction is, is broad and, 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 and wide, and there are many who go down that path. So there are more who find themselves in this condition, being condemned, which then brings about a separation from the fullness of God. So we see that separation again, first in Hades, and then ultimately in hell. And that brings me to truth point number one today. The pale horse and rider are about the unleashing of the separation of soul and spirit from the body on a massive scale and in a short span of time. If you wonder, what is this horse and rider about? That's what it's about. It's about those who will still be living on the earth when the seal is broken and this horse and rider go forth. It is about the separation of soul and spirit from the body and it happening on a massive scale and it happening in a very short amount of time. In other words, the horse and rider of seal number four are about death. So when the soul and spirit is separated from the body, as I've said, the body remains on the earth to decompose, and the soul and spirit live on in one of the two conditions and places that I've just identified for you. And that right there is the significance of the identification of Hades as following after death there in verse 8. If you look at verse 8, you find that on this pale horse is death, and following right behind is, say it with a little more robustness. Thank you. What is the communication we're to get from that? Well, the communication is that the vast majority of those who experience death when the fourth seal is opened will find themselves soul and spirit in Hades. The vast majority. The vast majority. Now, it happens today. But it's going to happen on a scale we're just not even remotely accustomed to 
when that takes place. Now, what I'm about to share with you this morning is not really pleasant, and most people would rather not hear it. And because of that, I would be inclined to skip over it if I could. But I have a calling, I have a, a, a task given to me by the Lord, and I dare not uh, monkey with that. So I, I share the truth as it is, whether it's pleasant or not. I just want you to know that I derive no pleasure in sharing what I'm about to share. And you're expecting something magnanimously crazy, but don't. The scriptures teach that after the fall of Adam and Eve from their position of perfect innocence, their spirit died, meaning it was separated from being in union with God. And there we have that word again, separation. That's what death really means. It's all about separation. Physical death is all about the separation of soul and spirit from the physical body. Spiritual death is all about the separation of the soul and spirit and ultimately the body too from being in union with God. And that happened to them as it relates to their spirit. Their spirit died immediately when they sinned and they were cut off from God. They were no longer in union with him. Ultimately, physical death came out of that as well, but the, the, the first thing that occurred was their spiritual death. Subsequently then, all humanity who have come from them, everyone who is conceived and born, are born into that same condition. We are all conceived in spiritual death, and we are born spiritually dead unto God. And just so you know, I mean, just recently I had a new grandchild born, Jet. And his brother, uh, Levi, is just a year older, precious, precious. But they were born of sinful parents, just as their sinful parents were born of, at least one of them, was born of this sinful parent. And so they were conceived in spiritual death, and they were born in spiritual death. I say that about my own grandchildren. It's true. I don't like it, but it's true. The idea that I want to communicate, though, is that spiritual death, eternity, separated from God in Hades or hell is the default position of all humanity. Unless something happens, unless something comes about to change that course of direction or that identification or a reworking or a bringing to life of the spirit within the person to unite them with God, unless something like that happens, then the spiritual or, or, or the default position of all humanity is to remain spiritually dead and to go out of this world into Hades and then ultimately hell. And that's the part I take no pleasure in talking about. I wish no one to have to endure that. However, out of that very dark cloud, there is a silver lining Humanity's default position is what defines the meaning and the purpose of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It is because of that default position that Jesus came into the world, that the Son of God came into the world, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he became our Lord Jesus Christ, that he went to the cross to die for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended back to heaven. It's because of that, okay? And that is something I like to talk about. That is something I take great pleasure in talking about. So let's switch gears to that. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 tells us, it's the first mention of the good news, that as the seed of the woman miraculously conceived in the spirit, by the Spirit of God in the womb of Mary, Luke chapter 2 verses 31 and 35, Jesus, God's Son, entered into human life without the taint of human sin. The primary purpose of that was to deal with sin's curse. By paying sin's debt in his own body, through his death on the cross, then conquering death through his resurrection. I said unless something changes the course of an individual, their default position is to be separated from God eternally. But there is something that can interrupt that course. By God's grace... Through faith in Jesus Christ, our sin can be forgiven, our spirit can be enlivened, and our soul then can be united to the Father by his spirit. And that is the gospel message. It is the good news that through Jesus Christ, God made a way for sins to be forgiven, for us to be adopted into his family, and for us to receive eternal life with him. Apostle Peter was the first to preach this message after Jesus ascended to heaven. And from that time, over 2,000 years ago until now, all who hear and believe the gospel message, who look to Jesus alone, his death for sin, his resurrection to new life, they are forgiven. They are united with Christ, and they are bound for heaven. Sadly, though, all others remain condemned in sin and bound for Hades. Having taken you on that little diversion, we need to come back with all that information and catch up to Revelation 6. You see, before the Lord Jesus receives the scroll from the hand of the Father and begins opening its seal... The scripture tells us that he will come, he will resurrect the saints who have died, he will take the saints who are living to himself, the event is called the rapture, but those who are living in rejection of him when that occurs, they will be left on the earth, they will be left on the earth to face those sealed judgments and the trumpet judgments, and the bold judgments that are still yet to be talked about. Now, by God's grace, and I will enjoy talking about this when we get to it, there will be those during that time who will come to faith in Christ, and uh, they will then be united with him. But the point is this, truth point number two. The vast population left on the earth following the rapture will not come to saving faith. And when the fourth seal is opened and death is unleashed, the stream of spirit souls pouring into Hades will be staggering. 
You say, oh, did I really get up early this morning and shower and shave to hear that? Apparently, that is the message for today. You know, we need to understand this. There is coming a time when all that will be left on the earth are those who rejected Christ. There will be billions of them. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. And when this fourth seal is unleashed and death goes riding out with Hades following, there are going to be billions of people who lose their lives in a short amount of time. And it's going to be like Hades has this mouth that is just wide open and those souls and spirits are just going to be pouring in. It's a horrible picture. It's a terrible picture. I'd rather not ever have to talk about it. But it's true. It's true. And that's why we see Hades following behind death in these verses. Because those who face the consequences of the pale horse and rider, most of which will be in rejection of Christ, while their bodies will litter the ground on earth, their spirit souls will swell the population of those already in Hades. Man. What words do we use to describe that? Grim, unpleasant, horrific, true. Now verse 8 goes on to tell us a little bit about what's going to cause this massive loss of life. There are four causes listed that bring about the death of those impacted by the pale horse and rider. The sword, famine, pestilence, wild beasts. Let's just hit on those briefly. Sword. The word sword is always synonymous with war. The red horse and rider of seal number two, remember, took peace from the earth, causing people to literally turn on one another to the point that people begin murdering one another, not just in war, but even apart from war. Famine is mentioned here. Remember the black horse of seal number three, aided by the ever-increasing bloodshed of hatred and war, brings about a famine of food. And among those whose lives are not taken in some form of conflict, many will die from lack of food. I can't help but stop for a moment. I responded to a question this past Wednesday in the Midweek Connection about how, how, how do we pray for Israel? And, um, and then following that, either that evening or the next day, I'm confronted on the TV with those images of those people in Gaza who are living in famine conditions. And I'm not talking about Hamas. I pray, I pray their venom be on their head. But, those, but there's many innocent ones living there. And it breaks my heart to even see that and think about it. We don't know anything about it. When this service is over, we're going to go to Texas Roadhouse or Burger King or or we'll go home and we'll have roast beef. 
or chicken salad and a whole bag of chips too. Half a gallon of soda. I mean, we, we, we don't even know. We have no clue what that's like. And there are people in the real world who are living in conditions that are very much like what are being talked about in the scripture. And imagine those conditions becoming global. Not to just a little strip of land, but imagine those conditions becoming global. Pestilence. The killing and famine of seals two and three will bring about all manner of disease, which is happening there as well. Virus and bacteria is going to run rampant. Natural disasters are going to occur. We'll see them written about in Revelation. These things will take human life on a massive scale. All of this related to the opening of the fourth seal. And then wild beasts. The words wild beasts that are translated can represent any kind of animal, from tigers to wolves to raccoons to rats. And basically what I see there is the animal kingdom will turn on humanity. And they will bring death through their attacks upon humanity. It's stated in verse 8 that the pale horse and rider, energized by these four enemies of human life, will have authority to take one-fourth of the world's population in death. I want you to think about that for a minute. According to the United Nations, the current global population right now stands at 8.1 billion people. Now let's say that when the, when the Lord returns in the rapture occurs, how, how do we possibly know how many Christians are on the earth? I don't know. But let's just pick a number. Let's just say there's a billion. A billion Christians on the earth. Again, remember, narrows the gate and broad is the way. So let's say there's a billion true followers of Jesus who are taken up in the rapture. That would leave 7.1 billion on the earth. One-fourth of 7.1 billion is 1,775,000,000. When the fourth seal is opened, the rider in Hades, death in Hades, will have authority by Christ himself to take one-fourth of the earth's population. One billion, seven hundred and seventy-five million. Do you know what the annual global death rate is, or death number is? Sixty-one million. In a given year on this planet, 61 million people die from disease, old age, murder, war, disasters. 61 million. That's a lot. But it doesn't even touch 1,775,000,000. The vast majority of who go right into Hades. Now, If the rapture, which I've talked about at some length, is a figment of my imagination, 
And I know that there are some in this congregation who think that. Pastor, I don't believe in that. That's just a figment of your imagination. You got that reading left behind. No, I didn't. But, but if it is a figment of my imagination, then that's what you got to look forward to, friends. If it is a figment of my imagination, if I'm, if I'm not interpreting the scriptures correctly, then that's what we all have to look forward to if we don't die naturally before. If the rapture is a biblical reality, and I believe it is, then it's what the re- unredeemed of this world has to look forward to. Either way, truth point number three begins to bring us to the end. God's judgment is coming. And the only way to escape it is to embrace by faith the one that he sent to take his judgment for sin in our place. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't, want to, I don't want to go overboard. I really don't. Because I told you when we began this series, I don't want to dip into sensationalism. It doesn't do anybody any good. But I don't want to stop short of you getting the picture. We live in a bubble, friends. We live in a bubble of prosperity and relative peace. And businesses opening and families having babies and older people having grandchildren and getting a new puppy and buying the new car and getting the new house and you know I mean it's 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 really pretty grand and 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 it's easy to get lost in all of that and it's easy to think that this is just going to be the way it's going to be but the scripture tells us that despite all of that positivity that we are blessed with That judgment is on the way. Judgment is on the way. Don't let your American dream life take away the reality that judgment is on the way. And for those of you in this room and those of you online and those of you in in the overflow room who have come to faith in Christ, Well, praise God, that's a judgment you won't have to face because Jesus faced it for you. We all have friends and we have neighbors and we have sons and daughters and we have grandchildren and we have co-workers who are still living in rejection of Jesus. Now, we can't make them receive him. My question just is this. Are we praying for them? Are we lifting their name before the Father? Are we ready to share the good news with them? If you're here today and you have not yet opened your heart to Jesus, if you're online, if you're in the overflow room, I want to encourage you to think this thing through. Not because you're afraid of what I said today. Fear, and you, you may disagree with me, but I don't think fear is a legitimate motivation to receive Christ. I think understanding your sin and God's love is. But I want you to think this thing through. God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus, 
who went to the cross willingly, by the way, willingly. He wasn't dragged there. He wasn't nailed there screaming and yelling and trying to get away. He went there willingly to take the full wrath of God the Father for human sin. And he took it all. And having paid sin's debt through his death, he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, thus becoming the author of eternal life for humanity. And for those who will repent of their sin, who will turn from sin, turn from self, confessing Jesus as Lord, believing in their heart that he was raised from the dead, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that they will be saved from sin's curse. You will receive the forgiveness of sin. You'll be forgiven of all sin. And you will become a dearly loved child of God. And you will live eternally in his presence. And the really great thing of this is that Scripture says, Romans 10, 13, that it is available to anyone who will humble themselves and turn in repentant faith, calling upon the Lord for salvation. It's available to anyone. So friend, I ask you, have you received that? Have you called upon Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you have questions about what even that looks like or what that means? My contact information is on the screen. I, I would love to sit down with you and attempt to answer those questions and help you see the love of God and the power of the cross and the power of his resurrection to transform your life. You don't have to take the judgment. Jesus did. But if you reject what he has done, you will face his judgment. And Christian, I close by just saying your salvation and mine is an act of the Lord's kindness to us. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. You can't. It is a gift. It is a gift. And praise him for the gift. But he gave you that gift not just to take you to heaven. He gave you that gift so that you could become an ambassador of his grace. And you cannot be an ambassador of his grace if you're not equipped. And this church is all about equipping people for that task. We'll, we'll equip you in mass, or we'll equip you one at a time. This past week, Pastor Brett met for, I don't know how long, an hour, two, two hours with one individual just to help that person get equipped to be able to share the gospel. We're not too busy. We stand here to serve and help. Are you equipped? If not, let's get it. Let's get equipped. Are you equipped? Yeah, I've, I've been through the class, Pastor Mike. I got the materials. I, I went through the drill. Fine. Are you, are, you, are you being an ambassador? Are you using it? Are you asking the Lord to open doors for you? Judgment is coming. And we need to be busy about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with every person who's willing to hear us. And we need to be praying for those that we're not sure if they're willing to hear or not, that the Lord will open their heart. Father, 
Mm. I just pray that you'll take the things that have been shared here. I, I don't even right now know how all that works, but I just pray you'll take the things that have been shared and that you will minister in individuals' hearts for the saved, that you will um, use whatever that was needed to help change their thoughts or, or to affirm their thoughts or to motivate them or encourage them or, or whatever needs to be done, that they may take those steps that you have for them to continue to grow in their faith. For those who do not know Jesus, I pray that you'll use this to spur them on, to investigate, to ask questions, to give it serious consideration, and that they would open their heart, that they would respond to your convicting power, and that they would give themselves to you and receive your mercy and grace and love. Go from being one who is under judgment to one who is basking in grace. Lord, I know that these things that we're looking at in Revelation are heavy and hard. I feel them. But help us to persevere that we may obtain the blessing, a blessing you've promised. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.